everyone. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your temporary host, Summer Stovall. I'm Dave's wife, and Dave is sick and doesn't have a voice. So I'm filling in for this very special women's discipleship episode, which is sort of fitting. Women's ministry is special to me because I've been personally poured into, and it's made a difference in me. It's changed me as a mom, as a wife, and as a disciple maker. Today's episode features Susan Fries. She's the founder and president of All In Ministries International. She's talked to us at the forum this year about the important role women's discipleship ministry plays in our churches. In this episode, you'll learn how to launch or relaunch your church's women's ministry with a proven framework to equip women to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus. And that's actually the mission at All In Ministries, is to change the world by training, equipping, and mentoring women worldwide to be disciple makers of Jesus. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump in and hear from Susan Fries. Good afternoon. I'm so glad you're here. It really is encouraging that you're interested in learning how to rethink women's ministry. Uh, my name is Susan Fries. I lead a ministry called All In Ministries International. We primarily work with church leaders and missionaries around the world in hard places to help under-resourced women be disciples who then know how to make disciples. Because the reality is a lot of women, uh, not only is it illegal for them, but it might be also culturally inappropriate for them to seek out learning. And so we help them by understanding what it means to be a disciple and then to make disciples. And then they radically change their villages and it's like, uh, I keep saying, it's the Samaritan woman, the, well, the woman at the well, and repeat. That happens all over the place. And so we just finished, we're just celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And so we um, are now in a position where we've put all of our training curriculum together to where um, it's going to be freely downloadable. You can go on. So um, that's where we're, we're shifting into that. Uh, but for the first 10 years uh, in ministry, actually way before that, um, I restarted the women's ministry at our church. So I'm going to be sharing with you today all of my mistakes. <laughs> you know, basically what God has done so you can learn from my journey. Um, but I'm not here alone. I am with an amazing partner, uh, Bethany Bar- Barber, who is with us from Houston. She just joined our team September 1st. But Bethany and I have known each other for more than 10 years. Um, and we're just so incredibly grateful she's heading up operations. And also I'd like to thank God for the life of my husband, Brett, who's here. He uh, took off this week to work, but I also want him to share with you a bit of a perspective on the spouse approach to women's ministry. Um, what we're doing today is going to be some, I'm going to be covering some areas that are, might be hard or uncomfortable. I just want to be able to be extremely real with you to be able to know how we focus on creating an environment where women can learn how to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so with that, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to take over. So Father, we just come right now to your throne of grace. And mercy, I thank you for each person here. Lord, I ask that I be a clean vessel that you would speak in and through, that each person would receive something for their next step. I ask that be, be keep all evil and harm and temptation and sickness away from this place, that this is a holy ground. And Lord, that you would just multiply this out. Lord, that we want so much for women to know how to be a disciple who makes disciples for your glory alone. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
I asked everyone if you could please fill out this card. This will help us stay in touch with you. We offer all, most everything we do is all free resources, so encouraging emails and free downloadables. But we're also going to be doing a, a, a giveaway at the end for a new resource that we have. Um, so if you haven't filled it out, if you need a card, please raise your hand, and we'll go ahead and um, get you a card, and then also be able to collect those at, towards the end. But I'm going to ask you, when it comes to women's ministry, what comes to mind? Retreats. Retreats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crafting. Right. Yeah. Mentoring. Mentoring. Good. Bible study. Good. I was um, a lay leader for a church for six years before I came on staff for four. And the second year I was on staff, a dear friend who's a pastor of pastors confessed to me. He said, Susan, whenever I'd go to a new church, my very first order of business would how to, be dis- how to dismantle the women's ministry without getting fired. <laughs> that was shocking to me. Um, because it, he was confessing that he had never seen a women's ministry that actually focused on helping a woman understand how to be a disciple who makes a disciple in a healthy way to come alongside the church. When we first, when I was first invited to to restart the women's ministry at our church, um, a dear pastor who I, I mean, he was like Moses on staff. He said to me, "Oh, I'm so glad the women's ministry is starting because I miss fr- fresh baked cookies." <laughs> That's what his envision of women's ministry. In my mind, how I interpreted it, it would be like a pastor who had just graduated from seminary who would be like, he just spent years in Greek and Hebrew. For those of you who've been in seminary, you know the rigor of that. Um, and uh, it would be like them coming on staff and going, oh, thank goodness you're here because now you can take out the trash and stack chairs. That's what it felt like. So obviously there's like this misperception of what women's ministry should be like. And yet we see in the book, uh, in God's glorious book, about what um, women's ministry is all about. We see how God created man and women, right? Men and women. We see he said, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be plants and animals, there were plants and animals. He said, let us make man in our image. It changed instead of let there be, let us make so there is this idea of this personal relationship. And he formed Adam's body. He breathed God's li- his life, and Adam's eyes opened and saw God. And yet he still said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And he didn't create another man. He created a woman. And the way we're described in the Hebrew is Ezer Kenegdo. And that means Ezer, if you were to look systematically throughout God's word, you'll see it used in the Hebrew as a, as a strong helper, like this lightsaber, like you're sick, you go to the doctor for help. That's the strong helper that comes alongside. So if we want to look at women's ministry, it started right there in the garden. That's what it's supposed to be, men, women working together for divine purposes to advance the gospel. We see that throughout the Word of God systematically. You can see Abraham, um, uh, you, excuse me, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, that, tri, you, that tri-level leadership. You see that also carried out as Micah brings it up. You see in the New Testament, um, you'll see Paul, and Priscilla, and Aquila working together. Priscilla and Aquila risk their lives to plant churches with Paul. You see throughout how uh, Titus, too, is mentioned earlier about older women pouring into the younger women. You see that even in um, Lydia being the very first European convert, creating a house church. You see the very first person to see Jesus resurrected, Mary Magdalene. You see the very first person to it be declared that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, that he, at the time was now to worship in spirit and truth, was the Samaritan woman at the well. 
So I mean, women, women have very much an important integral role to work with men to advance the gospel. So we're going to talk about what women's ministry is going to look like and how it's going to be a little bit different than perhaps the norm. So we don't get the dismantling women's ministry or the fresh-baked cookies. I mean, I love to bake. I'm a, I have a huge sweet tooth. So I'm all about that. But I'm not, I don't want to be like known for just that. You know, like, so nothing bad about that. I wanted to share with you my testimony, basically, um, how I even got into women's ministry, because I was not involved in women's ministry before I was invited to restart it for our church. And then I'm going to share with you a model that God gave us six years after I had made all these big mistakes uh, of how to reinvent women's ministry and sort of um, some things uh, as far as best practices. I came from a corporate environment, so I actually used a lot of business skills uh, from graduate work and everything into ministry. And we didn't have most problems that I would hear from about other women's ministries. We just didn't encounter them. I think largely is because some of the business practices I used in ministry. So I'm going to share some of that with you as well. And then also going to be sharing about some guiding, um, some cautions to watch for. And also, how do you know you're effective in women's ministry? So that's sort of the order for this. Um, but my background, basically, I came to know Jesus at a young age. I've never known a day that I haven't loved Jesus. I, I, my parents um, came to know Jesus in a personal way during the Jesus movement of the 70s. Anybody remember that? Yeah, so I kind of grew up, you know, uh, Keith Green music, you know, Flamboard, um, Bible studies. Um, and so I just wasn't discipled. I just knew about Jesus. I loved him so much, but I didn't ha go to a church that had a lot of discipleship. And so when you are not discipled, you wind up being discipled by the ways of this world. And so I went after those things like uh, degrees and career, and at a young age, wound up finding a lot of what the world would consider success. So in my late 20s, relocated for a position, was in, in charge of some big areas in a, in a major financial services industry, and was absolutely miserable, completely joyless. I, I just felt like I had no meaning in life. I remember at one point, I'm like, I knew uh, that I loved Jesus so much. I just knew that it wasn't as deep, and I didn't have an intimate relationship with him, but I didn't know how to get there either. And so uh, I went through a season of suffering. Brett and I had uh, struggled with infertility. My father unexpectedly passed away from a massive heart attack, 58. I wound up having to do a lot of job loss where I had to uh, lay off dozens and dozens of staff in all different places. And that's worse when you're having to stay there. Um, and in that journey of just wanting more of God, I wound up, um, we wound up being able to have a, a son. And then um, in that had postpartum depression. For those of you who are not familiar with postpartum, it happens about 10, 20% of women where you just have a chemical imbalance in your brain. You cannot dig deep and pull yourself out. It is something that you just uh, distorts your thinking. And in that journey, I remember knowing the answers were in God's word. I had no way to get them because I wasn't biblically literate. I opened my Bible, landed on the book of Ecclesiastes. It said, meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and I cried out to God, I don't even know why you let me live. I'm, this, I'm a horrible daughter of yours. There's no meaning in life. I mean, this is really this a couple days of this. And um, I walked into, I, at this point, when you are in depression um, or addiction or those type of things, people look for a form of escape. Well, I'm a good Christian girl. I love Jesus genuinely. My form of escape was watching movies. 
So on Fridays after work, Brett and I would go to Blockbuster Movies. Back then, okay, for all the young people, you actually had to like get a movie and put it into a device. Um, and so I would, uh, we'd rent two movies, and I'd lose myself in the story for the weekends. That's how I would just cope. And I was walking up the hall. This is the Friday after I had prayed that prayer. I think it was on a Wednesday of, God, I don't know why you let me live. A man came up to me that I had never met before. He says, um, God has a message for you. What you do matters. What you do makes a difference. You're appreciated and loved. And he turned around and walked away. Now, those were the exact words that I had been praying just days before. So I went back up to him. And in my little denominational space that I had grown up with, if you say you have a message from God, you're either reading God's word or your name is Gabriel. Like, that's the only categories I had for them. So I'm like, are you an angel? <laughs> I did. I said that to him. And he goes, no, 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 no. But God told me you've had a hard year and that next year you'll be blessed. And I, we were. We wound up having our second son. But more than that, what happened um, was I really understood that my faith was real. Like God really did hear what I had to say. He knows what I was in. He was with me in this. So uh, I finally got to a point of realizing, oh my goodness, this is so real and struggling with the idea of surrender, you know, this whole lordship. I didn't know what Lord meant. I thought that was just a nickname for God. You know, like you have shepherd and light of the world and morning star. That's just another name for Jesus. Had no idea it meant boss of your life. And when I understood that, I had been running a lot of different direct reports. I understood what it meant to be a boss and to report it to a boss. Yet I had never asked Jesus what he wanted to do in and through my life. And it took a woman who said to me, because my struggle was, what would happen to my boys if I gave everything up to God? Like, would they be taken if I surrendered everything? That was my big struggle. And so a woman said to me in, in life group, she said, you know, Susan, God loves your boys more than you do. In fact, the greatest act of motherhood or any other role in your life is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love others. And she then told me what those meant to love God with all your heart, your will, your decisions, your soul, your emotions, your mind, your thought life, your strength, your actions. You may be able to understand and pull that all together. I finally got to the point of just surrendering it all to God. I remember just some, some big issues, repenting and, and just cleansing. And I remember at that point, the whole postpartum lifted. Never to return again. And in that moment, at this point, in this my journey, I remember reading God's word. I couldn't get enough at this point. Instead of it being stale and lifeless, it became alive, and I was digging into it. And I just would spend the entire day in it. We have a little preschool and um, send my, our boys to, and I would just be feasting on God's word. All those things that I had wished I had known growing up, where were they all my life? And at that point, we had spent a year about praying about my identity in Christ. My whole identity was built on my career. I had grown up and kind of like, um, we struggled, okay? I didn't grow up in poverty, but we weren't like making out either. My dad was a house church pastor for a while, and my mom was a part-time teacher. That's where we were at. And so um, I was like, I, I, my whole identity was wrapped up in that, that title and, and how much we made and those type of things. And God totally shed that from me. And we prayed for a year about this, and I wound up quitting my career 
in that journey. I was asked and invited to, they, they thought I was crazy. They asked me to, to take on a different position, but we didn't have a what's next. So this idea of me just starting the women's ministry wasn't on the radar. I, I was going through this and in this journey of just quitting my career, not knowing what the what next is, and I'm learning all these things going, where has this been and why aren't women talking about this? That's where I went to the pastoral. We have a, a, a church that was just growing crazy, huge, and um, saying, you know, we had a women's ministry. It stopped because of a personal issue with a woman's uh, husband passing away unexpectedly. So we didn't have one for a couple of years. And so I had asked, you know, maybe you should reconsider like restarting on. I said, would you please, pastors, would you please consider? I think women need women to be godly women. I, I needed a woman to tell me that it's okay to surrender everything because that God loves my boys more and, and more so much more. And they said, let's pray for two weeks. That's not, that sounds good. Let's pray for two weeks. Oh, pray, praise, prayer's great. Let's pray for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, they asked me, would you please restart the women's ministry? And I was so humbled that God would entrust something like that to me. I went back, shut my door, and just cried on the floor. I just couldn't believe that he would ask me, who am I? I, I don't know anything about women's I wasn't even involved in women's ministry in order to, to, how do I start a women's ministry? So I took what I knew in business combined with what I saw and we just started, like the very first launch of our women's ministry, we had 500 Mylar balloons with our logos on it. We had this massive thing, because that's all I knew is like product launches. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was a mess, mess. And, um, but what we did wrong was we grew so fast, we were huge. We wound up having four big, four big events in the, at church. We had this massive retreat. We had more than 25 Bible studies going Monday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night. We had retreats. We had all the, it was massive and we were all volunteers and it just totally wore out. I had no idea how to do things to the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we had some really great things happen. Ministry started, but talk about not, you're not supposed to do it like that. You're not supposed to be siloed where you're this massive church church within a church. You're supposed to be working like the Ezra Connecta, where you work with the church to advance the gospel. So that's a lesson learned as far as that experience, because women, but what I learned in that, those journeys before we reinvented women's ministry there, was that women needed a place to belong. We are in, in terms of single generative environments, women thrive in an environment with other women to be able to disclose what's going on in home or to be able to serve or volunteer. Now, as a blended culture, we have women coming in from other places that are not allowed to look at the eyeball of another man. You know that? I mean, like, there are cultures that they can't, they are not valued enough to be able to look into an eyeball of a man. They're not allowed to ask a question of a man. So you have those cultures coming in as well. So women need women. We just do. Whether we like it, we, and, not, and so... What I discovered is women need a place of belonging. That's so important. They need to be invited. We have a culture now where it used to be you could just um, go on a Sunday drive and land at some family's house or friend's house and just unexpect it. My mother used to keep an Entenmann's on the top shelf above the refrigerator just because for unexpected guests. Like guests would come and we would just be able to pull out the Entenmann's and be able to serve something. That's what we don't live in that anymore. Women are waiting to be invited in. They, they need to have their gifts called out. So be mindful of that. People need a loving place to be. We, women especially, we need to have safe friends that we can just share what's going on in our lives, that people listen well, that are honest and authentic. 
That's, that's so needed. We need to have biblical and reproducible women's ministry. If we're doing something so complex, then there's no way that other people can multiply this. You have to be able to keep it grounded on scripture and be able to be able to multiply and take action with it. That's the other thing is to abide in Christ. How important it is that we need to know how to receive from God what we need and rest in him. A lot of times women's ministry focuses on only one aspect of ministry and doesn't is not intentional. In fact, that's why we're here at this conference, is how do we create a women's ministry that is intentional to be disciples and who make disciples? So I shared with you that um, I um, went through that six years before I came on staff. And in that journey, I had made all these mistakes. And one of the things that I couldn't believe is we weren't engaging all the, the younger millennials were not coming in. I'm, and I didn't understand why. Um, and so we wanted to pray through that. We spent a year in praying through that. And also, we didn't want to get burnt out. Like, how can we sustain this? And after a year of prayer, God revealed an approach and I'm going to share with you this approach, not for you to, you don't have to replicate this, but it's something that you might pull an idea or two or the whole thing. But it's an intentional strategy for women's ministry to be a disciple who makes disciples. So this is what it was. And the very first thing is to undergird everything with prayer. I, everything changed when the prayer ministry was strong. We happen to be fortunate in Jacksonville, Florida. We have a, a ministry that actually trains intercessors, like people who just know how to, pray, like, just, know, yeah, I'll pray for you. No, no, no. They are, like, on their knees fighting the battle, those women. And there are women who have, like, this desire. They are just drawn to prayer. You need to recruit those women to be praying and so that you're spirit-led, so that you're discerning as to what your church needs. What are some of the issues that are going on? so that you can form it by being spirit-led. So once we had an amazing prayer team led by a prayer warrior, like she was knowing how to draw them into God's word and to lead us in prayer, what happened was we knew we had to have a connect ministry. The connect is the sense of belonging. There are different things in this. Uh, We had, instead of the four huge events and then a retreat, we had one large event. There needed to be that, We especially when we went multi-site. We needed to have a place where we all kind of gather together to celebrate. You know, we worship a God of Jubilee. So we wanted to come together and have a time of worship together. We had open mic testimonies. It was a really big, huge event. So we needed to have that connection point, but we also needed to have small connections. So we had a small group and a large group team. The small group team, that was where we would just have organic meetups. There would be time where like, hey, we're all going to Panera for lunch if you guys want to come. Or I'm meeting up at the beach. We live in the beach for beach walks. Or we call it PE, playground evangelism, where moms with young children would just meet up at a park and we, we bring some extra water bottles, intentionally looking at those other young moms to gather them in. Why? Because they need to be invited. So just to be intentional with your connect. You need to have a place to have women connect, especially outsiders who are moving into your town and they're new and they don't know everybody. They need to have a way to be able to connect with you. Social media is imperative at this point. So you, you, Facebook, Instagram, the reason being is, is it safe, easy place to be able to have a space where people start to get to know each other. You'll have, you can recruit a volunteer to do post worship music once a week. Another one to post, um, you know, the free books. So we had somebody who's really good about all the free theological books on Amazon. They offer them all the time. So it's like, just post it. Hey, today is this book's free, you know, or uh, prayer requests. We had a lot of people connect with each other through prayer requests. Another family fostered. Okay, great. We can come alongside and help them in that. But we did that on social media. And it also, it connected us. If you're multi-site, it connected us with the different sites as well. 
So connection is huge. We also simplified our retreat. It used to be that retreats were like planning weddings. Yeah, couldn't do that anymore. Lord, how do we simplify the retreat? We wanted a space where people could get away. We have, we're a big military town. So a lot of times, unless we had something, those military wives didn't have anything. So we had the opportunity for them to get away. Um, and what would happen is I called it an ABC retreat. We would go to some uh, event that let's say somebody is speaking at. We would say, okay, this is where you buy your ticket. We are staying at this hotel. We would negotiate a block room. And number three, so A, buy your ticket, B, get your room, and three, and C, let us know you're going. And then we would all get together like on a Friday night for dessert and have this intentional way of connecting. And it so streamlined everything. Remember getting emails, I can't sleep with somebody who snores. Well, I'm not in charge of that. You can like find your own roommate at this point. We're all adults, right? So, um, keeping it streamlined. We don't have to continue to handhold everything. So the first was prayer, second uh, is uh, the connect ministry. The, after they're connected, we need to get them to be discipled. So it look, if you were to look at it like a, um, a funnel approach, so you have this huge funnel and you're getting smaller into these discipleship groups. What we did was we were big on needs-based Bible studies. What that means is, is we would base on the need of the group of the women. So, for example, we had, we, our particular church, um, caters to a lot of adults who have never darkened the door of a church. So we can't assume that they have any type of biblical knowledge. So we'd have some Bible studies that were really light because they were just starting off. They've never been into a Bible study. Some were requiring 30 minutes of homework a day. So those are for different. So we basically, God led leaders we have a vetting process for our leaders to be able to offer what that what was needed in our church. But it didn't stop there. We could not stop with Bible study because we saw so many people would treat it like it's a hobby. You know, oh, I'm going to Bible study on whatever day because all my friends are. Well, that's fine to a point, but at some point, we've got to get some spiritual maturity. And so it was had to be intentional to get them into a triad or transform group. Triads are smaller groups. Um, Greg Ogden, who's here, he's the author of Transforming Discipleship. I highly recommend that book. Basically, Transforming Discipleship tells you about these micro groups where you get into a smaller group, not mentor-mentee. And the reason being is mentees usually never rise to be the mentors. And mentors were getting very fatigued. So we changed our mentor-mentee program to where it was more peer, this triad approach, where let's say you are saying, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me to two other women. And you have to invite, you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit's leading me to invite you. Do you would you be interested in meeting every other week or every week or on FaceTime? Be creative. A lot of the women that I disciple actually right now, we meet on FaceTime and Dialpad. And so at nine o'clock at night, I'm a night owl. So I'm, and it happens to be that's what works for everybody. But think creatively as far as being able to disciple them and then be intentional. So they're not staying in a group just because it's fall and spring studies. That's a, that's a really big sign. They have to be actually taking action and you're seeing them transform. From this point, we've, we've got to help them take that step of um, loving and obeying God and unleashing them into their gifts. And a lot of times it's calling them out. Like, uh, I see in you a gift of, of, of teaching others or leading well or administration. Have you ever considered using your gifts for this? You know, this ESL ministry really needs help here. 
uh, the student ministry. You would be amazing. I see how you connect with younger girls. You'd be amazing to do that. They need to hear your voice. You know, being able to champion that, to be unleashing them. So women's ministry was not just women for women, but it was women by women. Like women's ministry, ministry by women. And that's how we saw, I mean, the church was so excited about women's ministry when we were like working as the Ezra Connectos, where we're helping women grow and then unleashing them into their giftings. In fact, in Romania, that was the very first comment that we received when we helped them establish their women's ministry was the men were so excited about women's ministry. I was like, really? Yeah, because their wives have been changed. Their marriages are different. That was the very first comment back is that they're so excited. The men are so excited about the women's ministry because they saw the change in their lives, women's lives. This um, would be this connecting, you know, Unleash would help women then connect in community to be able to get other women to connect it. But you see here there's an outer circle as well. <coughs> Everything was based on having strong leaders and communication team. Let me first talk to you about the communication team. We can do all these great things, but if nobody knows about it, then nobody would be able to get involved. So these are people who might be really good on social media, people who work well in terms of their writing skills, working well with the church as well to be able to get into some of those church communications. And then leaders. This was super important to make sure the vetting healthy leaders. These are women that not necessarily who have to be the really outspoken person. It could be just somebody who has a heart for women, who just want to see women flourish, should be able to enjoy God and exalt them in their life. Um, but we were really careful about making sure these women, number one, were active church members, that they were adhered to this, you know, the statement of faith of the church, you know, we can't have any theological issues there, um, that there was no other hidden agendas, absolutely no pushing your jewelry business or anything else. We're all about here helping women flourish in their relationship with God. And um, we would often, with people who would come in, let's say there's women who are coming in from different states and saying, oh, I used to lead women's ministry at my church. I'd like to be a part of women's le leadership here. Well, the very first thing I would do is, besides prayer and get to know her, is entrust her with something small. I want to see how she did with that small thing and then be able to grow her into a leadership role. So it was important for me to be able to know how to trust the leadership team. Yeah. Yeah, helping with registration and the uh, uh, atrium to signing up women um, for something, you know, something, you know, connecting. We had the connect programs. Hey, we want to come and help us with this beach walk that we're about to do just to get the word out. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of little things that you can help with women. Thank you. Um, also, diverse leadership, because we are a military town, making sure that the military wife had a, a voice on, in, on the team. Um, we also have a, a big Spanish and Portuguese uh, speaking uh, communities in our church, and so making sure that we were always mindful of them as well. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community 
for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. Guiding principles. Okay, I'm going to go through these really quickly. First, begin with the end in mind. Need to know your why. In business, we always start with the why. You have to understand that we're not here just to have a free country club for women. That we are all about women connecting with women so that they enjoy God and exalt Him in their life by loving Him and obeying Him, making disciples, loving others. That's what we're all about. Um, Bethany, can you share a little bit about uh, some Barna research? Yes, so um, we looked at some Barna research somewhat recently and found a couple of different things, um, just so you're aware of as we're thinking about the why. Um, helpful to know that the rate of women attending church has declined significantly just in these last couple of years. It used to be that the rate of men attending was always lower, but women has dropped so much the last couple of years that they're at the same rate as men now. So that's important to know as a challenge. Another thing that the Barna Group saw was that um, women were less likely to feel like they were using their giftings outside of the workplace. And so they're not actually using what they're wired for and how God made them in the church or in ministry, right? Um, and so that's a challenge. Another challenge is, you know, over the last few decades, as women have become more and more uh, involved in careers outside of the home, now they're just juggling more, right? So they're managing a home and children and cooking and those kinds of things, and they're managing a career and all of those kinds of demands. So those are kind of some of the challenges that the studies were showing. But some of the opportunities is one, well, gosh, imagine if we did help them use their giftings in the church, right? How incredible would that be to just unleash them um, to do what God's made them to do? Um, and then another part of their research showed that teenagers are more likely to talk to their mom about spiritual matters. Um, and so that's really like we have a huge opportunity to disciple the next generation as well, right? If we can equip women to um, to know who they are and who God's made them to be. So that's just kind of some of the things we saw with Barna. Hopefully that show you the the challenges, but also the importance and the need for why solid women's ministry matters. Thank you, Bethany. The second thing is to create culture. In business, we talk about you can't just let culture be formed. You have to be intentional to create it. What that means is, you know, you might have seen in corporate cultures, mission statements, value statements, um, vision statements. I would argue that the mission statement of the women's ministry should be the same mission as the church. If the church is going in this direction, the women's ministry needs to be the Ezra Connected to go in that same direction. How we accomplish it, it's going to be different. So our vision is going to be, you know, different. We're going to help them connect, disciple, transform, to unleash them into their gifts, you know, to enjoy and exalt God. So those are the types of things that you want to be prayerful of is to be so aligned with the church's mission. And when you're creating your vision as the, as the women's ministry, values, values mean how you behave. So, for example, in all our ministries, we have seven values. Uh, we have got to abide in Christ, right? If we don't know how to draw from him to receive everything we need, to rest in him, receive, release everything to him, then every, apart from this relationship with Jesus, we can't do anything of spiritual significance, Jesus says in John 15. So we have to have this abiding relationship as part of our values. We need to love well. You need to listen. 
We not, you can't be pushing anything or guilt-driven women's ministry or this bullying or bossing and nothing like that. We need to just love well, be creating a safe environment for women. We need to be biblically sound, right? Like it, the God's word is going to be our authority. So you got to pray about what your values are going to be. And when you set your mission, vision, and values, many problems go away because you have established those as your guidelines. So that's so important that you create culture. I will tell you that the priorities are set in the pulpit. So, for example, if your church's pastor is really big into evangelism, then evangelism is going to be a driving factor, which is amazing, which is I think is great. My first 20 years of ministry is all about evangelism until God changed my heart and said, you need to disciple women, and as an overflow of their love for Jesus, they will share Jesus. So that put me on a change, of course, but I'm just giving you an example of how priority is set in the pulpit. If they are a servant leader, then your church is going to have this servant leadership vibe to it. So just be mindful of that um, in when you're forming your ministry. Is it you're going to be supporting that as a as a connectome? Number three, getting the right people on the right seat on the bus. <coughs> um, that's a principle by John Gordon. Basically, you need to make sure that you have defined roles and you have the right people in those roles using spiritual gifts. We have it, just asking the question of where you feel the Holy Spirit working in and through you the most. You know, you will find that people. Oh man, I really get excited when I'm doing this, this, this. Well, then that's where you put her, you know? So we want to make sure that you have the right people in the right seat of the bus. And that way it won't be exhausting to her. I mean, yes, ministry's hard because what? You're, you're battling spiritual forces. So that's just out there. Um, but you've got to also want to use what the Holy Spirit's doing in that person's life to, so that they work with God, right? We're not doing anything for God. He's sovereign. He doesn't need us at all. We're not doing anything to get anything from him, right? He can't be manipulated. We're doing all of this with him. And when women are working with him on the right seat of the bus, you're going to go, you're going to flourish because they're, they're doing what they've been designed to do. Number five, be in, inspect what you expect. This is a business principle that if you give somebody something to do, you want to follow up to see how they're doing. Um, a lot of times uh, women would run into problems and our roles as leaders are to help no's turn into yeses. A lot of times it's just because they didn't understand who to talk to or they hadn't clearly understood that or they hadn't set things up. So just be careful about, you know, following up. Inspect what you expect. If, you, um, if you're asking them to lead meetings, well, are you leading meetings? You know, and are you fostering an environment where they can uh, lead an effective meeting? Start on time, stop on time. You know, have it be, be very clear that no gossip, no clicks. I mean, make it very clear about what, they, what you're expecting. Um, number five, uh, six, manage up. This is a Harvard business principle that came out probably 30-something years ago. Basically, managing up is a principle where you know what your leader's goals are, and you then align your goals with theirs. And then you also know their communication styles. So, for example, in business, I'd have our CEO. I reported to the CEO. I understood what their goals are, and so my goals would then be mirrored there. So, for example, how this plays out in church. Our church would have a 40-day focus every fall. It was just how we did things. So our 40-day focus would be, you better believe, our women's ministry is going to line up with their 40-day focus. If they're going to be focusing on community, then we are going to be all about community. And also, uh, knowing the communication style of your leader. Uh, our senior pastor is extremely gifted in terms of vision. He's very personal. He, he's wonderful. But do not send him a long email. It's just... Not good. That's not how his preferred method of communication. I, so a lot of times my conversations would be hallway conversations or bulleted. I mean, those are the types of things you just need to understand who you're talking with. And that's with everyone. 
So just be able to know how to manage up. Share stories. That's part of it, of managing up. That's part of managing up is be able to communicate your, the stories of women's ministry. A lot of times, pastors may not be ultra-supportive of women's ministry because they have absolutely no idea what's going on in the women's ministry. If they only knew that lives were being transformed and it was affecting their marriages and their families, they'd be all about women's ministry if we're doing it right, right? So be able to share the story of, oh, let me just tell you what's happening here. Let me just tell you this testimony and be able to communicate that. Number seven, Seat at the table. Uh, when I went to, from a volunteer lay leader into a staff position, everything changed when I was at staff meetings. It just happened. Like, I didn't realize all the other things that were going on. I didn't also be able to align the priorities of the church, of, of women's ministry better. Um, they were able to understand what we were doing in women's ministry better. So it's just so good to have a seat at the table um, and be able to, basically, it's be able to show why women's ministry exists. We have to know the why. Uh, and then lastly, celebrate. I already talked to you about how God is a God of Jubilee, but also celebrating is important uh, in business. We always make sure we want to be able to trumpet the people who have who've worked hard, who sacrificed, who were brave. You know, women who maybe have, for the very first time, led a, minute, led a Bible study or who were serving in uncomfortable places with refugee ministry or whatever, to be able to celebrate that, be able to share their stories, um, and also just to be grateful, you know, in that celebration, to recognize people. You know, most people are not driven by money. I know if you were to look at it, take a poll of people in a workforce, that's not usually their number one motive. They're, they want to be able to use their gifts. They want to have a quality, valued life environment, you know, be able to have a good team. They will choose a lesser paid position to work on a really great, healthy work environment than getting paid double at a, a toxic business environment. People are not motivated by any money. So we need to be able to see how we can great, be grateful for them and value them and put them in a place of belonging. I want to talk to you about cautions. First, we cannot be all to all in women's ministry or any ministry. If you were to ask 100 people what a ministry should look like, you will get 100 different answers. We just absolutely cannot. That's why your mission, vision, values are incredibly important. So we need to understand why we have the women's ministry and how we're going to accomplish those. Now, if someone comes in, for example, a woman leader came in from another church who had a prison ministry. Okay, so I was going to get to know her, got to know her for a couple of years, and then we just embraced that ministry. So it wasn't that we had started off saying we're going to do prison ministry. It was just that God had put them into our church. I got to learn and trust them and be able to then support them. And we wrap, and to this day, we're, we wrap and support that prison ministry. Um, so just be careful to know that um, you can't be everything to everyone. And constructive criticism is, is part of this. Whenever I'd have a criticism, I always pray, God, what is it that you want me to learn from this? Uh, and then sometimes there were some things that I needed to change. Uh, if there was any time where I felt like an off vibe from a woman, I would go up to them and I'd say, hey, listen, I know something's a little bit different. Is there anything that I did to, is, like, do I need to ask for forgiveness for anything? I mean, I would proactively do that. Um, and I'm telling you, a lot of the problems that we had in women's ministry that I heard other women's ministry have, we just didn't have. And I think it's because we just had these guidelines for us. We just set a tone of just authenticity and humility. Um, let's see, also vetting women's leaders 
uh, I wanted to say, only Jesus is perfect, by the way. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect ministry. Only Jesus is perfect. Um, number two, uh, vetting women's leaders. I already had talked about that, being you know, safe women, pure motives. Uh, if you have the wrong leaders in place, um, I would suggest you shut down women's ministry. I'm not joking about that. I, if you have toxic women right now that are... Um, <sighs> We don't want to perpetuate that, right? It's better to just say, let's, let's hold off with women's ministry and let's pray and ask God what he wants to do in and through our women's ministry. And let's just take a season of prayer and just see what he does. And I, a lot of times in that, there's been times where we've had some difficult situations where the women just weed themselves out. They just realize that this culture is not going to support whatever they're trying to di- divide or take off. The, and this is for any ministry, in fact, is just being able to say, okay, let's pause for a while and see what the Holy Spirit has for us. And God, would you provide your leaders, the right leaders that have pure motives? And and that would happen. So I just want to urge you to make sure your leaders are solid. Um, the third thing is not siloed or superficial. I had told you that we went off into this siloed approach where we this huge church within a church. That's not healthy at all. Um, and then also not be superficial. If we're only about the, um, the crafts or, or the, you know, Tuesday morning Bible study, which is good and great, but if we stay there, that's it. There's no spiritual maturity. We have to be able to have some sort of intentional strategy to make disciples who make disciples. Number four, inward focus versus outward focus. Um, a lot of times, and this is for all ministries, they can get super focused on just them, and it's all about them. And um, we have to be really careful that we are looking out to pull in the others. I'll give you an example of this. I used to call them earth angels. But every big event, we would have undercover greeters. So that, because women, when we get together in big events, we tend to find our friends and just like start catching up. We just want to hang out. That's fine on, on another time and place, but in a big group setting where the intention is to make these connections where women from outside could get connected, we had to be intentional with having undercover greeters. And so just be really mindful of those people who come alone who need to be able to um, be seen. Everyone needs to be seen. And um, the compassion fatigue, uh, that was another thing, is is just women who are continually leading sometimes just wear out. And so especially with what Bethany said about um, women being exhausted, they just have so much, be mindful about what you're asking of them. For example, we streamlined our meetings to where we only met eight times a year. We didn't meet during the summer. We didn't meet during Christmas. Because I knew as a mother of young kids, it was so crazy trying to meet. So we just adapted to what we felt like would be healthy for other women and, and women's ministry, ministry, ministry leaders. Excuse me. Uh, five, branch out of women's only focused studies. Um, women need to know the whole canon of scripture. If we only focus on women-authored studies... We are limiting. We have to be spirit-led in this, the needs-based. We want to make sure that women, when they come in connection with other women's ministry, that is not just teaching them that it's all about women, that we need to understand the meta-narrative of Scripture and where our part and purpose is in that. And that means we're going to have to have different voices that are going to speak into us, and we're going to be able to learn how to study the Bible just using the Bible, too. You know, that's good to be able to replicate that, asking three questions. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? What is God leading us to know, value, and do? So those are just easy ways to be able to 
right, to have a very healthy women's ministry, to be cautious about that. And then one of the other cautions I want to say is as women's ministry leaders, to make sure you have spousal support. Because what you're doing is going against the enemy. You really are. Whenever you're trying to invest in a woman who's going to multiply this into her family and community, you're going to run into issues. And so you want to have make sure the whole, there's Holy Spirit unity with your spouse. Um, and I've asked Brett to just speak into this because he was the reason why I'm even here today. So um, around the same time that uh, God is working on Susan in, this, in women's ministry, it's the same time that I was working on building my own business. And I went to this conference, about, about the same size as this conference, and I went to a breakout session. I read the title of it, and it really intrigued me. And it was, it was helping couples move from success to significance, right? And what was interesting, so it's, a, it, it's basically, it was, it was for couples that were basically in their mid-60s, okay? So, um, and then there's a few of us financial advisors who were kind of sitting in the back listening. But the first question that was asked, now it, it was it was set up, and I won't get into the setup because it takes too long. But the first question was asked, it was asked to the women. How many of you women feel like your husbands have committed to and support what God has called you to do? Right? Not one hand goes up. It was, it was asked to be, you know, very honest and, and open. And I remember, I remember thinking, I'm going, wow. To be in a room full of individuals who the couples feel like they've had successful lives, the women don't feel like they've been supported in their calling, I'm not going to be that guy. So, so anyway, I really prayed about what this would look like, right? So we got into this whole topic of what does co-calling look like? So it's not just, all right, Susan needs to figure out how to support me in my business, right? Or the other way around, it's not just me supporting her and her ministry. It's us being co-called together in both. So anyway, I, thought, I, I hope that would be helpful. And I want it to be more of an encouragement, not a guilt thing, so you don't want to go home and feel, we never had this either. It's one of those things where, you know, let's pray about this. Let's be encouraged about figuring out, okay, how do we do this together? And uh, it's, it's been quite a ride. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. been fun. Thank you, love. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. So if you're in a position where the, your husband, your wife is not in this co-calling mind frame, just be, give that to God. God does. He, I would say, God, we've done everything. It's on you to change hearts, not me. And he will. He'll be able to transform that heart. But it would be, it's, it's where you are working with each other so that we're just not siloed either in our ministries, um, in, in especially in women's ministry with what we're doing. All right, number four, how to know if women's ministry is effective. There are five ways you'll be able to tell. First, your family is going to enjoy the difference in the women's lives. You're just going to see a difference in how uh, women process problems and what their priorities are. All of a sudden, it's not going to be all about Pinterest. It's going to be about God's purposes. You're going to see just differences in their conversations. They're going to be more intentional to seek out relationships with people who are far from God. You're going to see just a difference in women's lives, a priority of getting into God's word. They're going to notice, the, the family is going to notice a change. Number two, the church is going to celebrate women's ministry. I had mentioned that we came up with this when God gave us this model to unleash and we were pulling, we were plugging women into other ministries. Like we were intentional for that. Uh, the other ministries were like, 
we're all in this together, the body of Christ. Like that's how it's supposed to be. The church is going to celebrate that women's ministry. And we, they would get behind our women's ministry. We'd have an event or we'd have, and they were promoting it with their life group leaders or their student leaders is, hey, the women's ministry doing it. Why? Because we were all helping each other and exalting God in this. Number three, the community will expect, experience tangible love of God. We saw women get plugged into refugee ministry. Um, another woman started a ministry to women who were in the adult entertainment industry. We had uh, women who started homeless ministries just because they grew in their walk with the Lord and they uh, wanted to take action in that. Number four, the women will flourish themselves as they find their identity and purpose in Christ. You know, we learn to carry one another's burdens. We learn to zip it when it comes to gossip, you know, we, or shut it down. Uh, we learned that we're not going to be just cliquish, and we're not going to be all about exteriors. We're going to be about the heart of a woman, and we're going to be seeking out that um, in her life and wanting her to flourish. And then ultimately, God is glorified. You work with a BEMA mindset. That's one of our values in ministry, is where we're operating with integrity in everything we do, that we are one day going to stand before God to give an account, not in judgment, like in like our sins are tossed as far as these is to the West. Hallelujah. It's really going to be about an award ceremony. Like, you did this. You sacrificed for me. That's what Jesus is going to talk about. You did this hard thing. You invested in those women's lives, even when nobody else wanted to, or when your pastor didn't want it to. You still were able to seek out and be able to invest in them to help them grow in their walk with the Lord. Just to be able to have that beam of mentality that everything for God's glory alone, not platform. No one needs to know our names. Like It's all about God's glory. God's glory is our reward. And so I wanted to ask Bethany to come up and if she could please uh, describe what we do at Well in Ministries so that we can help you um, as well. And then we'll take some questions. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to tell you a little bit about All In Ministries. Also, if you have not already filled out your card, we'll draw for a book giveaway in just a minute. So if you just want to put your name and email on there, we'll put you on our email list. And you can just maybe pass them this way. Brett, we've got a bag right here. Oh, yeah, that works great. Uh, if you just want to pass them to the end, and then we'll draw the book in just a second. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about All In Ministries. Um, we exist to equip under-resourced women to be disciples who make disciples. And so 10 years ago, it uh, started sort of on accident, just by saying yes to what the Lord was doing, and uh, started with a, a workshop in India, um, teaching women what their identity was, uh, their the meta story of Scripture, the meta narrative of Scripture, where they're seeing the whole picture of what God is doing, and then seeing their role in it, and then talk about being unleashed. Uh, these women went out sharing the gospel. Churches started. It's still. That was 10 years ago, and they're still bearing fruit in these women in India. So we've been 18 countries, um, and it's been really neat to just see what the Lord is doing. Um, and so I uh, would love for you to take a look at this. Um, you'll see, yes, you'll see here um, we have uh, a few different, oh, actually, I don't want to skip this part. This is really neat to read our testimonies of some of the conferences. You can see this last one here, how many times they've shared the gospel, 300 or 3,242 times um, from these women. Um, you can see the first one here. I came to the conference feeling my life was meaningless. Now I found new meaning for my life. I know how to abide in Christ and make disciples. And so uh, this is the kind of stuff that is the work that God is doing, and we just kind of get to be part of it. Um, and so um, there's some testimonies there. Uh, I want to show you this too. This is three ways you could engage in our ministry. You can be a disciple maker. 
which we hope you all will be. We have a one-hour free course online that you're welcome to take. Um, you could do it with friends. Um, it, just uh, some very simple tools for disciple-making. Um, and so we'd love to invite you to, to do that. We also have a second one that we're super excited about, Be a Trainer. So in three weeks or so, we will have finalized the workshop that we've done um, internationally, um, and we're just giving it away. So we've uh, Susan has written out the material, um, tips for how to do this, and we have another workshop, uh, another one tomorrow that you can come to if you're interested in doing this. Well, more details about that. Um, but basically, just if your church is going to Peru, you can take this training with you and sit under a, a tree with a few women and watch them be unleashed um, to do what God has called them to do. So um, we're finalizing it. So if you want to sign up on our website on the Be a Trainer page, we've sent that to you um, hopefully really soon. Um, and so that's a way you can engage. We also, um, if you, we're always looking to engage with other missions partners. So internationally, uh, folks that we can come alongside to either um, host a workshop or give them the material, provide coaching, encouragement, those kinds of things. So that's all in ministries. And um, have we all passed our, our things to the side here? I'm going to take a minute to tell you about your true story. Um, and I, I'll say too, so I just joined the team a month ago. I've known Susan and Brett a long time ago, but I can brag because I wasn't, I didn't really have anything to do with it. This, <laughs> this uh, book is 10 years uh, in the making um, and is everything that uh, you would want a new believer to know. Um, it's called Your True Story, 50 Day Essential Guide to Your New Life with Jesus. Um, and uh, when I first read it, I bought like 20 copies and gave them to, I'm not even lying. So, um, so it just came out about a little over a year ago and really have designed this as a follow-up tool for the workshops that we do internationally. So we have 10 translations in the works. Portuguese just got posted on Amazon and Spanish. I'm hoping like today I can click the button. So I'm just waiting. So, um, anyways, we're super excited about what the Lord's doing. It's a buy one gift one. So if you buy one on Amazon in English, that helps us fund one in Swahili that we can give to a woman and. Africa. So highly recommend. Uh, it's also, it's daily devotionals, but also you can gather with a group. There's weekly discussion questions. So if you're doing one of these kind of disciple, smaller micro groups, great resource to use for that as well. And uh, anything that you all wanted? Yeah. I saw your hand go up first. Okay. Um, after you had maybe a retreat on a weekend and you had that large pool of connect people. Yes. Maybe, let's just say, for example, over a hundred. Right. How are you identifying people to come to that discipling smaller group? And then how are you identifying for that group the ones that come to, to the quad or triad Excellent question. Basically, just like the business skills, we'd always have a call to action at every event. So every event had the next step. So whether it was a flyer, there's a promotional, there's a testimony that would go with that. Um, as far as discipleship triads, what we had is we offered a study that was Greg Ogden's Transforming Discipleship. We constantly offered that. But then what would happen, it would be word of mouth as well. Because part of triads are you're supposed to multiply. So if three goes to nine, goes out. So what would happen, it was just organic. It was even the men's ministry was taking this and other places were taking it. So really, it's just being, it's part of the culture of what you create in your women's ministry as, oh, well, why don't we get together, you know, once a week or once every other week, and we can go through this together. And that was sort of how it all led. It just kind of took off that way. But it was had to be intentional of making sure people are aware of it and inviting them in. So it's, it's really, that's where your communication team is so important. So what I had another question. Yes. Uh, 
this might be related to the question, but uh, I'm a lead pastor of the church. So if you had entirely lead pastors in the church right now, what would you want to say? What would you want to tell them about women's ministry? Mm -hmm. And then the follow-up question is, what would be the best way they could support what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? There's like a thousand things. Um, I, women are an integral part as co-laborers of the gospel and to be seen and valued and, and, and encouraged in their gifting. When I was in seminary, it was often that I was the only woman in the room. Now I don't understand why. Like, why, why weren't women there? They needed kind of a theological understanding of, of the scripture. How are they going to teach their kids? You know, how are they going to be able to biblically, biblically focus? So I'd be really supportive of that as a, a lead pastor to say, you know, understand the hermeneutics, be able to be able to lead well. But really, it's real. If you could be giving a voice to women, a safe place, and then being so selective of making sure you have safe, good leaders to lead, not just the woman with the microphone or that has the big speaking gifts. No, it might be that really humble woman who just is so um, enamored with Jesus that he, she wants other women to be enamored with him. So I would say if you can identify those women and entrust them with the women's ministry and give them space and give them a seat at the table to be able to understand how we can support you, that, that's what we, we want to do. So, feel part of the team. yeah, yes. feel part of the team. And I just want to applaud you for being here. Like, seriously, men in the room, thank you so much. Um. Thank you so much for listening. I've had fun being your host. Hopefully, my husband will lose his voice sometime in the future and I can do this again. I'm just kidding. I don't want that to happen. Up next, we've got another episode from Susan with All in Ministries, so make sure you click the subscribe button to know when we release it. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.